Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, when I uh, speak in different places, I'm, I'm never amazed, I'm always amazed at what some people will say to you. And uh, I remember one time I was speaking and this uh, lady came up, an elderly lady, and she said, keep it up, you'll get better. <laughs> I mean, what do you say? <laughs> you know? And, you know, I wanted to say, your time's running out. You're not, I mean, you know, you, you're not going to get look any better. And I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. And um, so anyway, it's like Mary's, when we were at seminary, Mary's mom called one time. And she, she said, uh, she said, Mary, is Don still overweight? And, and Mary busted out laughing and told me what her mom asked. I said, well, ask her if she's still ugly. And, uh, <laughs> and I think she asked her. So anyway, I, I didn't get a present that year for Christmas. But um, anyway, it's, there, it's always funny what people will just say and do. Um, anyway, we are talking, we're in this series on discipleship. And, and today I wanted to talk about the follow me part. And because we're, the goal is, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you're going to be a disciple, the goal is to be spiritually mature, right? I mean, that would be the goal. And, and so I want us to break down some verses and we'll talk through this about this whole thing about how to be spiritually mature. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. You always want to look at what Jesus is saying. If you ever run into somebody who's never, ever read the Bible, tell them to start with the words of Jesus. Just read what Jesus had to say. That's a great place to start. So in Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, so there's got to be a desire. you got to want it. And, and so... Do you have a desire? And I mean, lots of people desire things and they desire spiritual maturity, but then they struggle with what comes with it and they, they are not willing to pay that price. So it, but it does have to begin with the desire. If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. So it begins with, if you have the desire, then it begins with a giving up. And that means that you sacrifice, you sacrifice your agenda. You must give up your own way. Now, obviously, God would want you to give up a way that's uh, not good for you, a way that's sinful, contrary to Scripture. But guess what else this includes? This may include some things that are fine, things that are okay. They're not a moral issue, but maybe God is calling you to give up like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and Jesus invited him to follow him. And Jesus said, you know, I want you to take your stuff and sell it and give it to the poor. Now, was there anything wrong with him having stuff? No, Jesus never condemned that. But he was saying, hey, if you really want to follow me, the guy had the want to, he had the desire, 
but he wasn't willing to do the next step, and that was the giving up. So maybe God is telling you to say, hey, there's some good things in your life that I want you to give up because I've got better things for you. And I cannot give you those better things or the best thing until you give up the good things. So there's a desire, there's a giving up, and then he says, take up your cross. Well, one way I can look at that is change of priorities. When I take up the cross of Jesus, it's my own cross that I'm actually carrying now, I'm, that means a change of priorities. It's, it's a dying to self. I think, I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross daily. In another verse, he said, you do it every day. He's saying, okay, today I want you to begin by dying to your agenda, dying to your wants. I want you to take up your cross. I want you to do it every day. So there, there's, a, there's a want to, there's a, there's a thing to give up, and then there's a change of priorities. And then Jesus said, and follow me. Change of direction. So if I really want to be spiritually mature, then I got to give up the things that keep me from being spiritually mature. And then I have to change my priorities so that I can become spiritually mature. And then I have to change directions and follow the path that God has for me, Jesus has for me, that leads me to spiritual maturity. So there's a real process to this. It's not just a decision you make and then that's it. I've decided to be spiritually mature, that's it. No, I mean, it's, it's the whole thing. And as each level gets a little more difficult, more and more people kind of fall aside. As the price gets a little heavier, fewer and fewer people are willing to pay it. Look at Jesus' disciples. I mean, he had thousands of people following at him at one time. And when the pressure started coming on, it kind of lessened. I mean, even to the point that even his committed 12 didn't always stick with him. So if I'm going to be spiritually mature, there's a process I go through. And it's a daily process. Ephesians chapter 4. Then you will no longer be immature like children. Now, children are just naturally immature. And I think that's by design. Because children are not ready to handle this, the stuff of life, the pressures of life. They're, children aren't, aren't meant to, to, to struggle with the paying of bills and how are you going to make things come about. You know, or how am I going to feed my family? They shouldn't have those kind of weight. That shouldn't have that kind of weight on them. So children are just naturally mature. And I think that's a protection process because they're not ready to handle that stuff. But at some point, they've got to start handling that stuff for their own family. So you want them to grow out of that immaturity. And that's part of the part of parenting that you do is to help them to cease being immature and become more and more mature. And you do that by giving them more and more responsibility. He said, so you will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about 
by every wind of new teaching, there's always new teaching out there. Always. There's always something that's being taught that's just not right. And many people, many believers, especially if they're like the immature child, if you're immature spiritually, you don't have the ability to discern what's truth and what's a lie. So growing and being spiritually mature is vital to protecting yourself from the lies that'll be told. And you're not blown around about by the wind of every new teaching. Uh, then he says, we will not be influenced when people try, uh, and listen to this, trick us. Trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Who does that sound like? That sounds like a lot of politicians I know that are so clever in their word that They'll sit there and just lie to your face, but they make it sound so clever that it sounds like truth. And, and the reason it sounds like truth, the reason I know it sounds like truth is because so many pe people buy into it. Not all, but some are that way. Said instead, we <clears throat> will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Growing in every way, more and more. That's spiritual maturity. <clears throat> more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Let me, let me look at that uh, lies, clever lies part again. This is nothing new. This has been around a long time. In fact, Satan is the master of that. He was absolutely the master of that. And, uh, but the current lie that is being cleverly put upon our society is this whole gender identity, wouldn't you think? The definition of a woman, who would have ever thought that that would be a debate? The definition of a man or a woman. The, um, the author of life, the giver of life, established the definition millenniums ago in the garden when he said, we shall make man and woman. Many years ago, Gateway was a part of planning a church in Toronto and some of you remember we brought in the, they had co-pastors and we brought them in to speak at Gateway a couple of times. And I'll just never, it just floored me. Uh, the senior pastor, the, the head pastor was preaching from this pulpit and he shared, he said, you know, one of the issues we deal with in Canada is whenever you are uh, marking forms for gender, there are seven options. I'm sitting there going, excuse me? And he went on to name them, and the one that caught my attention was Indian spirit, that that was a, an option for your gender. And I thought, that is ludicrous. 
That's ridiculous. I'm glad we don't have that issue. Man, we've got them out beat now. We got far more than seven options. I mean, you know, when we in our when we in our country want to do something, we want to do it big time. And now we have all these options about the definition of a gender and and it's just clever sounding lies. Ephesians 4:13. Oh, and let me mention, let's go back to verse 15 a second cuz this is important. It says, instead, we will speak truth, the truth in love. That, that's huge. Whenever you're talking with somebody who has a contrary opinion, you're to always speak in love, not in a judging spirit, not in a condemning spirit. That accomplishes nothing, and it's also contrary to God's word. As to how we're to do that. Jesus, every time, now Jesus got really put out with the religious people, the ones who knew better, the ones who were manipulating scripture, he got put out with them because they were the leaders, the spiritual leaders of, of the Jewish people. And, and he was like, you guys get it so wrong. But when it came to a person who was caught up in a sin or caught up in a lie, every time he deals with them with such tenderness, an incredible love. Even the rich young guy that I talked about earlier, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Even though his priorities were a little messed up, it, the Bible says, and Jesus loved him. The woman caught in obvious sin. He loved her. He didn't, he didn't condemn her, he freed her. He forgave her. And then he was condemned for forgiving her. They, they were so focused on wanting to judge her and, and, and put her in the ground, but Jesus wanted to pull her out of the ditch she had fallen into and set her free. So when you deal with somebody that has a contrary opinion, regardless of what it is, or somebody who's living a contrary lifestyle, or somebody who is way off base when it comes to biblical truth, if the word in love is not a part of your conversation in terms of your attitude and attitude and your spirit towards them, maybe you don't have the right spirit to even be, to even talk to them. Until you're ready to do it in love, I would suggest you not do anything at all. You got to get your heart right. See, otherwise, your only goal is to prove a point. And that doesn't accomplish anything. There's a difference between wanting to prove a point and then lovingly lead someone to truth. It's a big difference. Ephesians 4.13, this will continue until we, all, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So that's the goal. Our goal, our purpose is to be spiritually mature. That's the goal that's been set for us. That is 
God's goal for us. I mean, look at, look at Genesis 126. Then God said, you know, this is at the very beginning here. And God said it, let us make human beings, male and female, in our image to be like us. Well, that's a massive statement right there. He didn't say that about anything else that he had created. Only the human race. And when he said to be like us and in our image, he's not talking about let's make a bunch of other gods. But the Bible tells us God said, be holy as I am holy. So we let the Bible interpret itself. So I can take that verse where he says, be holy as I am holy and bring it back. And it helps me to interpret this verse. And so when he says, let us make human beings in our image, I know he's not talking about to be a God like him, but rather to be holy like him, to be godly like him. That's what this verse is talking about. To be like us, and he's referring to the Trinity even there, to be spiritually mature, to be godly, to be holy. That's why, that's why this whole thing of discipleship is huge. It goes back to the very beginning of why the human race was even created. When you get on a path towards spiritual maturity, you are fulfilling the very reason God created the human race. It does not get any bigger than that. And if you're not concerned about spiritual maturity, then you're missing the whole point of why God created us. That's how important this is. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, to be godly, to be holy, spiritual maturity. Now, here's a couple of truths about spiritual maturity. I think it's important to grasp this. And the first one's very important. It is not automatic. I pray to receive Christ. I go to church. So automatically I'm spiritually mature. It does not work that way. Listen to Hebrews 5. You have been believers a long time now that you ought to be teaching others. I mean, there's an expectation here. You've been a Christian a while. You should have matured to the point that you're actually teaching other people. You're, you're developing other believers. He said, instead, you need someone to teach you again basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. It shouldn't be that way. For someone who lives on milk and is still an infant doesn't know how to do what is right. You see, some people, as believers, I mean, when, when a baby's born, <laughs> we, 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 we teach them how to be selfish, right? Because every time they cry, we come running. Oh, when I cry... The world stops and pays attention to me. And, and, and when I'm hungry, all I got to do is cry and they're going to come feed me. And when I'm eating my diaper change, I just got to cry and they'll come take care of me. And it's amazing how some people translate that into their spiritual life. 
and they want to stay there. Oh, when I got a problem, everything stops and everybody takes care of me. Or when things aren't going right for me, everything stops and everybody comes and takes care of me. Paul's saying, hey, it's time to get out of that, crabby, that baby crib of yours. And it's time to change your own diapers. It's time that you become spiritually mature. So it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. In fact, number two, it's a process. And there are no shortcuts in this process. You, there's no shortcuts to becoming spiritually mature, but it is a process. Second Peter 3.18, rather you must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forevermore. You must grow, process. Just like, you know, every time when you have a, a baby, when a baby's born, every time you would go to the doctor, there were two things they would always do. They would weigh the baby and they would measure the baby, right? Why would they do that? They want to make sure that child is growing. They want to know where they fall in the percentile of the other babies. They want to know that the child's healthy. It would let them know that there's something wrong if they're losing weight or if they're, you know, some, they're not growing. They, it would say, okay, there's something going on. We got to figure this out. So there's a measuring process in growing spiritually. And, and it is a process. And we are to grow in grace. We're to grow in knowledge. That grace part kind of goes back to that first verse we were talking about. When you deal with people who are far from the standards of God, that in love. The grace that you have been given, you now give that grace to someone else. One of our college students called me a while back and said, Pastor, I've got to deal with my roommate. And he shared what the deal was. He said, how should I handle this? I said, well, number one, don't judge them. Don't do that. Because then you come across as holier than thou. And, and here's some ways you can start having conversation. But if they shut down the conversation, then, then you need to shut your mouth and don't say anything else. You got to give it some time because you want to build a relationship that's based on grace and based on love, not on judging, not on you're not meeting my standards. And that's the way we're to be with people. So it's, it is a process. Number three, it takes discipline. First Timothy says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tale. Instead, train yourself to be godly. That's discipline. Train yourself. An athlete trains themselves. The coach can help, but the athlete's the one that's got to do it. Train yourself to be godly. The Bible teaches that mature believers are called disciples. That's the term that the Bible uses for a mature believer. It's a disciple. The Bible teaches I cannot be a disciple without discipline. In fact, those two words go together. The Bible also teaches that the more disciplined I become, the more God can use me. The more my spiritual gifts are matured, the more God can use me. In fact, 
a real mark of a disciple, according to Jesus, is cross-bearing, carrying your cross. Now, I'm not talking about you go build a big wooden cross and you carry it around and say, hey, look at me, how spiritual I am. No, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you dying to yourself. That's what a cross was used for, right? It was for death. And so when Jesus said, take up your cross every day, he's saying, I, I want you every day to die to your selfishness. Every day I want you to, to, to die to the idea that you think it, everything's about you. I want you every day to die to your agenda so that you can live my agenda. It's a daily process. It takes discipline. Jesus said in Luke, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not going to be, Jesus basically was saying, if you're not going to be disciplined, how can you be a disciple? So how often do I do this? I do it daily. Daily. So what's involved in cross-bearing? Here's a simple answer. I have to keep things simple for me. Whatever it takes to give Jesus first place in my life, that's cross-bearing. Whatever it takes to put Jesus first in my life. Colossians 3. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and renew as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Man, that's taking me all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 again. To be like him. So I've got to strip off before I put on. I've got to take off the old raggedy stuff in my life before I put on the new clothing that God's made for me. That's carrying your cross. Taking off my old attitudes, my agendas, my opinions. Man, that's the hardest thing to give up, isn't it? Taking your opinions and setting aside and taking on God's opinions instead. So how do I do that? <laughs> how do I do this? Well, I have to spend time in God's word. I do it by praying. I do it by giving of my time, giving of my talents, giving of my treasure, so giving of my spiritual gift for the benefit of others, and uh, my time, which is the most precious economy, uh, economy you have, because you only get to spend that once. It's not renewable. And giving of my treasure, which is not just money, it's everything. I give of myself. And then one that's really important, fellowship. That lets me know that there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. It doesn't work. If I'm going to be mature spiritually, I've got to spend time in God's Word. I've got to pray. I've got to be a giver. But I've got to be in fellowship with other believers. We sharpen each other. We make each other better. We strengthen each other. 
And when we're struggling, we help lift each other up. So I want to deal with just that one thing about the Bible for a second. I got to read the Bible. How do I grasp God's word? Romans 6.19 says, because of the weakness of, of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to immaturity and lawlessness, sin, which led ever deeper into sin. It's like somebody who struggles with drugs. They... Um, they get that initial high, and then they spend their rest of their life trying to recapture that initial high, so they take more and more drugs. They get deeper and deeper into drugs until the point that drugs absolutely consume them, and they're in such a deep hole, it's impossible for them to get out on their own. Praise God, there is a way out. Some of you get caught up into the drug of success. I've got to achieve, I've got to achieve, I've got to get more, I've got to get more, and I've got to get more recognition, I've got to have more prestige, and you just keep chasing it and keep chasing it, and before you know it, you're in a deep hole, and you're lost. You've lost yourself in something that doesn't matter. He says, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Again, going back to Genesis chapter 1. We were created to be like God, holy and godly. Now, 2 Timothy, one last verse. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the Bible, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So when it comes to the Bible, here's what I want you to think about. Number one, you got to hear it. And that's what you've been doing for the last 30 minutes. You've been hearing God's word. But just to hear it, you know, just say that's your little finger. I, I might be able to balance it a little bit there, but hearing it is not enough. I've got to hear it, but I also have to read it. So now I've got two fingers trying to, that's a little better. I got a little more control. So I hear it and I read it, but it's still not, not really sinking in. The third thing is I need to actually study it. And I gotta have a third finger there. It's getting more balance. I've gotta study it. I've, I've, gotta, I've gotta figure out what does this really mean? When it says this, what does that mean? How does that apply to me? So I, I've got to study, get in deeper in this word and understand what it means. And then another thing that helps me, now I've got four fingers here, is memorize. I mean, find those verses that you, whenever somebody is struggling with something, one of the things that I do is always help them find verses that apply to their situation. I say, I want you to memorize these verses so that they're just constantly in your mind and your heart and you can quickly rely to, you know, feedback on them because that's what's going to sustain you. So you memorize. And then 
You want to meditate on it. Meditate. Now I've got, I'm getting a really firm grasp now. Meditation is different from study. Study is to trying to understand exactly what that verse is saying. Meditation is what is that verse saying to me? What is it that God is communicating to me from this verse? What is that all about? And then that gets me to the last one. And that's when you put your palm on it, you apply. When you start applying God's word, now you've got a grasp on God's word. Hearing it's not enough. Reading it's great, but it's not enough. Studying, that's getting better. Memorizing, that's great. And then meditating. Now you're getting there. Then the last one's really the easy step. I start applying what God's been showing me. And he is showing you how to be holy and godly like him. The main purpose, he created the human race. Let's pray.